Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. This podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And this is part two of the Real Root Causes of Anxiety Explained. If you haven't listened to part one yet, pause, go back, listen to that, and then come back to this episode. It's episode 11, and it's titled The Real Root Causes of Anxiety, Part 1. And that episode covers in-depth gut health, nutrient deficiencies, and diet. I also talk about trauma, specifically the biology of trauma, because that's the only thing I can support with. That's the only thing I can support someone who has experienced trauma with. I think that sentence made sense. (laughs) Specifically, what I can do is help you address the way the body has been impacted long after the traumatic experience has passed. So four of the real root causes of anxiety were addressed in part one. So that was a juicy episode. In today, we're going to be covering the fifth root cause, lifestyle choices. And then I I don't think I'm going to get to part... I don't think I'm going to get to the final root cause today, which is stress, be that physical, mental, and emotional. I really want to cover all three. So there's going to have to be a part three of this mini series. I am fired up and so excited and might be a little sassy recording this for you because almost everything I talk about today, if not everything, will cost you zero dollars. You, we, and you, we have to take radical responsibility for our health. Our health is an investment. A mentor of mine always says, you aren't entitled to good health. You are responsible for it. And I agree. And this might trigger a lot of people. But to be clear, I am not saying that you are not deserving of good health. Every single person is deserving of good health. And some people have dealt, have been dealt some really shitty cards, but you are still the one who is responsible for saving yourself. You still don't have to become a victim of what life has dealt you. And no one else can do that for you. Especially when it comes to your health, you have to invest in your health, period. And I don't just mean financially. Entitled. So just to be very clear, when my mentor says, and when I agree, saying that you aren't entitled to good health, entitled means believing you're inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment, like a sense of entitlement. Deserving, everyone is deserving of good health. Deserving means worthy of. And we are all deserving of good health. We all deserve to live a long and healthy life, but you are responsible for that. We're all responsible for that. Meaning we have to do the work to rebuild our health. And then once we've rebuilt our health, if we're in a place where we have to rebuild our health, then we have to continuously until the end of our days, do the work to maintain that health. And health is earned in three ways, through our three currencies, money, time, and energy. If you have chronic anxiety, your physical body is imbalanced. Your gut health, your hormonal health, your nervous system health, etc. is out of balance. So you are responsible to bring the body back and your body back into balance. No one else can do that for you. People can guide you, support you, help you figure out why you have this symptom of chronic anxiety which is exactly what this episode, part one and part three, and honestly, my entire podcast is about, but no one can do the work to resolve it for you. So when I say investment, when I say your health is an investment, when I say you have to invest in your health, I don't always mean cold, hard cash, but this is what everyone focuses on. And everyone gets so hung up on this 
And there's a lot of lack mentality around this. If you don't have the extra money to spend, cool. Then how are you investing your time and energy into getting better? Because at the end of the day, you have to invest some kind of currency in your health, be that time or energy or money. So where do you start? I have a few options. To keep this entire podcast about spending time and energy and zero dollars, linked in the show notes, you will find my two main free resources besides this podcast. Well, actually, there's three. I have Calm, my five-day workshop, my free five-day workshop to help soothe an anxious mind. I have my free one-hour webinar class, The Three Secrets to Natural Anxiety Banishment, that walks you through well, the three secrets, and they are, I'm going to tell you right now, (laughs) they shouldn't be a shocker, how to optimize digestive function, how to eat to boost your natural neurotransmitter production, and how to bring your hormones back into alignment. This is where I would start with these three things. And within that training, I share 17 things, 17 things for free that you can be doing to optimize digestive function, boost your neurotransmitters, and bring your hormones back into balance. So check that out if you haven't already. I also have my five-day moving meditation challenge that's free. Obviously, my entire Instagram will cost you zero dollars. Well, obviously, you have to pay for your phone, your phone bill, um, and my podcast. Now, let's chat about how your lifestyle choices and decisions are influencing and creating the symptom of chronic anxiety. You will hear me say all the time, I eliminated my anxiety disorder. I eliminated my panic disorder. I eliminated depression. And I did. I overcame all of those diagnoses, all of those labels. I do not experience those things anymore chronically. Keyword. That does not mean that I do not experience the normal human emotion of anxiety. That doesn't mean that I don't get into funks. And I actually recently went through a little bit of a depression about seven or eight months ago when I was in burnout. And if you haven't heard that story, it's episode seven, crashing into burnout. So I do feel down. I do have ebbs and flows and dips in my mental health, just like everybody else. And I do experience the emotion of anxiety from time to time. The difference is Now I can recognize it. I can sit with it. I understand why I'm there. It's not scary. It doesn't freak me out. I can recognize what's happening and I come at it differently. I can look at the situation and I can say, okay, you know, I know why you're here, anxiety. I know why you're here, depression. I know why this is happening. I have built the resilience over time to sit with this. I know that I will move through this and I will come out the other side. I can be in a funk. I could be feeling really down for a few days or even two years ago, the longest time was about two weeks, two to three weeks where I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot seem to shake this. I can be, I did shake it obviously, but it kind of felt like it was dragging on. I can be experiencing the normal human emotion of anxiety. I can be experiencing all of these things, even in that two to three week where I was like, oh my gosh, I can't shake this. Even when I was in burnout, I can be experiencing all of these things and still feel safe in my body. I can be frustrated that it's happening, but I can still feel safe in my body. Everybody, you, everybody listening is capable at arriving at this place. You just have to address what is going on inside the body. You have to address the physical body-based imbalances that are creating this symptom of a generalized anxiety disorder or a panic disorder. And your lifestyle choices influence these body-based imbalances, which puts the power right back in your hands. It may feel like anxiety has hijacked your body and that you have no control. And trust me, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. I used to feel that way, but it's simply not true. You have way more control than you think. And a lot of why you're feeling this way has to do with your lifestyle choices. So here are eight questions I want you to ask yourself. Number one, are you watching TV right before bed? Are you on your phone before bed? 
Are you checking your phone first thing in your morning? First thing in the morning when you get up, are you using your phone as an alarm clock? Those were a bunch of questions, but they're in category one. Category two, number two, <laughs> are you going to bed by 10 p.m., 11 p.m. latest? Are you getting eight to nine hours of uninterrupted sleep a night? And don't worry, if you're a mama and you're, it's just not possible because your babies are younger or they're waking you up a lot in the middle of the night and you're listening to this being like, oh my gosh, I want to sleep, but I can't, I will talk about what you can do in your situation. Number three, are you breathing properly? Are you a chest breather? Most people are. Do you practice deep abdominal breathing every single day? Do you have a daily mindfulness practice? Do you have a daily meditation practice? Do you have a daily breath work practice? I know right away, so many of you listening are going to be like, I cannot meditate. I just can't. I tried. It doesn't work. Or breathwork doesn't work for me. It actually makes my anxiety worse. And don't worry. I hear you. I, I so hear you. And I so resonate with what you're saying. But I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. Just let me go get through my little lifestyle checklist here. Number four, do you practice cyclical living? Meaning, do you honor your female-specific hormones and adjust your food, your exercise, your uh, time management, your boundaries, etc., around the four phases of your cycle. Are you over-exercising? I see this so much in the mental health space. Number five, do you go outside every day for a walk? If you are physically able to walk, you should be doing this. It's also really important to expose yourself to natural sunlight as much as possible, even if it's overcast, the sun is still out there. Number six, how much caffeine do you consume daily, which isn't just coffee, soda, chocolate, certain supplements, um, energy drinks. These are all very stimulating. Now, I'm actually not in the camp of you have to cut out caffeine completely if you have anxiety. It really depends on the person uh, and what's going on in their body, and I'll explain this more. Number seven, are you under eating? A lot of women are doing this whole 1,200 calories a day thing when your female body needs a minimum of 1,600, and that is on the very, 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 very low end to function somewhat properly. You may be like, wait, is that not diet? Yes, it's both a diet and lifestyle choice. The root causes are constantly overlapping, which drives my point home that it's never one thing. One thing did not create your anxiety. Even a few things, like two or three things, didn't necessarily create it. There might have been kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, but now we're here. Now we're in a state of chronic anxiety. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder or a panic disorder. Maybe you're having panic attacks. So at this point, it's not one or two or three things that are going to release it. The whole, you know, breathwork, meditation, mindfulness thing I was talking about earlier, which I will expand on in a bit, that overlaps with mental and emotional stress, which is our sixth bucket. Everything is connected. We have so much resistance to this. I felt this resistance back in the day. It would be lovely if all we had to do was, you know, just a little bit of therapy and maybe change a few things about our diet and lifestyle. And you know what? For some people, maybe that's true because they've already started down this path and they just need a few tweaks. I work with some of these women. Some of these women come into Breaking Up With Anxiety, my group coaching program, and they already have some of these pieces in place. So now they add to just need to add a few more things and they need to tweak and calibrate. But that was not the case for me. And that's not the case for everybody I work with. For me, it was a full-on diet and lifestyle overhaul. And then number eight, how are your boundaries? Do you have loosey-goosey boundaries? Everything I mentioned, those eight things will cost you zero dollars. Okay, no, obviously eating more food is going to cost you money, but otherwise everything else costs zero dollars. So these are all choices you're making. Now, to be clear, a lot of these choices you aren't consciously making yet because you didn't know until now or until whenever you learned it, how these choices were impacting your mental and physical health. Once you know better, once you do know, however, then that it becomes a choice. 
that's when it becomes conscious. And that's when the power is transferred to your hands. That is when you have to step up and take radical responsibility for your health. So let's unpack these eight lifestyle choices a little bit, shall we? I'm going to put lifestyle choice one and two and put those together. I'm going to lump everything together there. So watching TV before bed or really just exposing yourself to any blue light 60 to 90 minutes before bed, being on your phone both right before bed or first thing in the morning. Um, Are you going to bed by 10 p.m., 11 p.m. latest? Are you getting eight to nine hours of uninterrupted sleep? And what to do if you're a mama and you just can't right now for the age because of the age of your kids. For the sake of trying to cover as much as I can or everything in an hour, (laughs) I'm going to talk about why it's important to sleep before 10 uh, slash 11 p.m. But if you cannot sleep and you want to sleep by 10 or 11 and you're actually trying, you're actually prioritizing sleep, this is a symptom of physical imbalances within the body. And for more information on that, check out episode nine and episode 13 of this podcast. And if you're like, what do you mean by prioritizing sleep? That is explained in episode 13. So make sure that you go look at those two episodes because I really dive into the the root causes and the causative factors behind why someone struggles to fall asleep or stay asleep or if they have insomnia or if they're waking up between the hours of two and four, one and three, or they're just like not feeling rested when they wake up. All of these sleep issues I really unpack. And if you look at the title of episode 13, you might be like, oh, immune system and seasonal allergies, that doesn't apply to me. If you have chronic anxiety, I'm telling you, your immune health applies to you because if you have chronic anxiety, you are inflamed and that has triggered the immune system and not in a good way. So don't judge a book by its cover or don't judge a podcast episode by its title. I highly recommend you listen to, I mean, all episodes because there will always be something there for you, even if it's just one thing I say that creates this like big mindset shift that happens to me all the time. I will look at an episode title of the, you know, the usual people I like to listen to and I'll be like, nah, that's not for me. But eventually I always press play and I'm like, wow, okay, yeah, I really needed to hear that. Okay, so why do you need to sleep by 10 or 11 p.m.? I have had to have some very hard conversations with clients in the Breaking Up With Anxiety group coaching program where they're like, you know, I'm not feeling better. I'm not feeling better. I'm doing all these things. And I come to learn that they're still not prioritizing their sleep. They're staying up until 12 o'clock, one o'clock. And I have to tell them, you know, you will not get better until you prioritize your sleep. Sleep is paramount. You have to prioritize this which is why it's super important if you physically cannot sleep, even though you are doing everything in your power to try and sleep, that you go listen to those other podcast episodes, episode 13 and 9, to understand what's actually happening inside the body that's stopping you from sleeping because it is a symptom at that point. There is so much research that shows the importance of having of going to bed before 11 p.m. to maintain your body's internal clock, which is called our circadian rhythm. If you disrupt this internal clock, it will impact your gut and your hormonal health. Your circadian rhythm is closely tied to your digestive system. So chronically staying up late past 11 o'clock, not just every once in a while, but as a habit, as something you do, alters the normal functioning of the gut microbiome the community of microorganisms, so that bacteria that live in our intestines and, you know, build our neurotransmitters. They're pretty important. (laughs) Going to bed past 11 p.m. chronically is also going to impact your hormone regulation big time. Your body's production of the hormone melatonin, which I'm sure you've heard of if you have sleep issues, you've probably even tried to take melatonin and you're like, it's not working. Um, which is, of course, because again, if you go listen to episode 13 and 9, you'll see that there are a lot of root causes that melatonin is not going to fix. But if you are not prioritizing going to bed before 11, then your body's uh, production of melatonin and cortisol could be thrown off. So melatonin, which obviously plays a role in regulating sleep, It's highest between 9 p.m. and midnight. So you want to catch this heightened melatonin to where it's naturally the highest. You want to be able to catch that so you can improve your sleep quality and duration. 
now, you might be like, oh, she said midnight. I can stay up until midnight. No, keep listening. (laughs) Insufficient sleep and irregular sleep patterns are also going to disrupt the body's normal hormonal imbalance of the hormones cortisol, insulin, and ghrelin. Cortisol is a hormone that is released in response to stress. And it plays a very important role in the body's fight or flight response. It increases our arousal and alertness, which is beneficial in short-term stressful situations. But when cortisol levels stay high and they don't go back down, this leads to a chronic state of hyperarousal, aka one of the reasons we have chronic anxiety. Then this is going to go on to impair our cognitive function, um, our memory, our attention, our decision-making. Now you're not performing at your best because how can you? Chronically elevated cortisol levels affect the gut-brain access, which is the connection between your gut and your nervous system. And then this is going to go on to disrupt the normal functioning of the gut microbiome, leading to digestive issues and circling back, coming back to inflammation. And as you know, by listening to part one of this series, changes in the gut microbiome absolutely influence the symptom of anxiety. And then, of course, the catch-22 here is that cortisol is then going to affect sleep. So cortisol levels, they naturally fluctuate throughout the day. But what we want is for them to be highest in the morning, so to wake you up, give you energy, get you through your day, and then lowest at night so melatonin can come up and rule the show. Cortisol is not bad because it serves a purpose. It's when it goes out of balance and when we start to see these elevated cortisol levels at night that this is going to disrupt sleep. And then not getting enough sleep is going to exacerbate our anxiety symptoms, leading to this cycle of stress and anxiety and poor sleep. And it might feel like, oh my God, I can't win. It's a vicious cycle. And it kind of is until you break it and you have to break it which often means forcing yourself to go to bed at the exact same time every night and waking up at the same time every morning, even if you're not tired. And even if you're not tired at night, even if you're not tired in the morning, I call this sleep boot camp. It sucks. It could take up to two weeks sometimes, but you can do hard things. And the reality is you have to do hard things. You have to break the habit of staying up late. You have to train your body to go back to bed at the normal times. And you have to look at, okay, well, what physical imbalances might be happening within the body that are creating the symptom of me not being able to sleep. So yes, getting sleep back on track can be really hard, but you can do hard things. And the reality is we have to do hard things to improve our mental, emotional, and physical health. Now let's chat a little bit about um, how insulin influences the symptom of chronic anxiety, because I get so many questions and I hear all the time from women you know, how do I know if my hormones are impacting my anxiety and it's my hormones, my hormones are influencing my anxiety or my hormones are creating my anxiety or my hormones are imbalanced. And I think that's why I have anxiety and they're not wrong. If you have thought this, you're not wrong, but why are your hormones out of balance? Because they are also a symptom. They are not a root cause. And I will do like more podcast episodes dedicated to this because it's a big topic to unpack, but I really just want to hit it home that if your hormones are out of balance, you need to dig deeper and you need to understand why you have to stop just looking at your hormones as a very surface level. It's a very surface level band-aid approach. So I talked about ghrelin, insulin, cortisol, melatonin that are all getting thrown off by how much sleep you're getting. So taking like a hormone balancing supplement or a medication isn't going to do anything long-term because one of the root causes of why hormones are imbalanced is sleep. So insulin is a hormone that regulates glucose, sugar, the glucose metabolism in the body. And when insulin levels are low or dysregulated, the body is less able to use glucose for energy. And this impacts our body and our mood in so many different ways. It can create the symptom of fatigue, decreasing our energy, create anxiety and depression. It's going to affect neurotransmitter balance, particularly, particularly serotonin and dopamine. It's linked to chronic inflammation. It's going to impact the gut-brain access. And it's going to go back around and disrupt sleep anymore. And actually very interesting, but it could be one of the causative factors behind the symptom of obstructive sleep apnea, 
And I know someone with this and I can tell you 100% without a doubt that their insulin and blood sugar levels are absolutely playing a role in the manifestation of their sleep apnea. And it's like, okay, they have the CPAP and they're going to all these sleep clinics and doing all these things. And um, by the way, I've told this person this, so if they're listening, they're not going to be surprised. I also gave them a heads up and say I mentioned it on this episode. Um, They have a CPAP, they're doing all these things, but not addressing the body-based imbalances, which you have to do (laughs) because it is a symptom. Anyway, let's talk about ghrelin. So ghrelin doesn't get a lot of attention, but I see this hormone imbalance in so many of my clients because of how much it impacts appetite. It is a hormone that's produced in the stomach and low levels of this hormone will decrease appetite and create that like rapid weight loss that we sometimes see in women with anxiety where they just like they're losing weight so fast. uh, They have no appetite. Maybe they feel nauseous. And so then it becomes this vicious circle where then they're not eating. So they're continuing to lose weight. They're continuing to feel nauseous because we need to be eating enough protein or we're going to experience this symptom of nausea. And especially a lot of the time these women are like, I get messages all the time that are like, I'm losing so much weight. I cannot lose any more weight. What do I do? One of the things is we got to look at your hormones. I work with so many women who have no appetite and then they've lost so much weight from quote unquote the anxiety, but is it from the anxiety or is it from the body-based imbalances that are creating the symptom of no appetite, even nausea, rapid weight loss and anxiety? And that was a rhetorical question, by the way. It's the body-based imbalances. We have to bring appetite back and start to put weight back on by addressing things like hormones. But if we're looking to address hormones, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are the root causes behind why these hormones are imbalanced? And hint, 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 it is everything I am talking about in um, this series, The Real Root Causes of Anxiety. Those are also the real root causes of hormonal imbalances. Something else that really isn't talked about enough for why sleep is so important for mental health is the role sleep plays in proper liver function. So getting enough sleep is crucial for your liver in so many ways. This is when your liver regenerates and detoxes. It repairs damaged tissues. It eliminates toxins. And if this is not happening, it's going to go on to impact your hormonal and your mental health. During sleep, your body regulates insulin and glucose, so those sugar levels, which again, this is going to have a massive impact on liver health. And sleep is also so important for regulating inflammation in the body. Sleep deprivation will contribute to chronic inflammation. And sleep deprivation is also going to impair the liver's ability to, and sleep deprivation is also going to impair the liver's ability to metabolize alcohol, which can then lead to liver damage. But it's not just about how much you sleep. I have this argument with Steve all the time where he'll go to bed at 12, but he'll sleep until nine and he'll be like, well, I got nine hours. But when you are sleeping is also just as important. So exposure, and by the way, he's watching TV and he's on his phone until he goes to bed. Exposure to screen light between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. activates a specific circuit in the brain called the habenula. The habenula is a small structure located in the epithalamus region of the brain, which is involved in regulating various behaviors like sleep, mood, um, reward processing, things like that. And studies have shown that the exposure to blue light from electronic devices, so smartphones, tablets, computers, etc., can activate the habenula and disrupt its normal functioning. And when this happens, so the habenula is activated by the exposure to blue light during those late night hours, it can lead to a decrease in dopamine. This is your motivation and pleasure neurotransmitter. So we kind of want this to be in optimal amounts. Low levels of this are associated with anxiety, depression, and addiction. In addition to its effects on dopamine, exposure to blue light during the late night hours can also disrupt the body's natural production of melatonin, which is essential for regulating your sleep-wake cycle. Studies have shown that exposure to blue light can suppress the production of melatonin, leading to insomnia, other sleep issues, mood issues, cognitive impairment, etc. So if you're experiencing depression, 
it's super, super, super important to avoid blue light at night. It's really not helping. And blue light exposure can come from screens, LED lights, and indoor lighting, which those emit like more of a blue light than the traditional like incandescent bulbs. I use red lights as much as possible. I have this lamp beside my bed, which is different than my Orion red light, by the way. The red lighting I use is by a company called Bone Charge. Uh, I'm going to link everything I talk about in the show notes or put everything in the resources section. Uh, It's not an affiliate link. I should honestly reach out to them and ask because I talk about them all the time. But as of right now, it's not. If I had my way, our entire house would be red light at night. But, you know, Steve isn't into it. And then blue light blocking glasses can actually come in super handy here. I don't have a pair, but I do plan on getting a pair. It's on my list. And Fun Charge, the same company that makes the red lighting I use, I have like a lamp beside my bed and a clip for my books to read at night. They also have blue light blocking glasses, street lights. So a lot of cities have started using LED street lights as they're more energy efficient than traditional lights. And this is a source of blue light. This is why blackout curtains or eye masks and really just like prioritizing sleep hygiene. So sleeping in pitch black is super important. I use the Manta eye mask. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. I've tried so many masks and this one is my favorite. So just to clarify, red light therapy, like my Orion red light, is different than the lights that I'm talking about. This is a holistic tool used to target a wide range of health and well-being concerns like anxiety, depression, seasonal affective disorder, which I actually used to get a little bit of every year for a few weeks, like a few weeks when the lights would go, when the clocks would go back, and then a few weeks again. Um, in maybe like end of January, early February. And this year was the first year that I didn't. And I did two things differently this year. I added in my Orion red light therapy every single morning. I meditate in front of that. And I did was doing microdosing. The red lighting, like the bun charge bedside lamp and the click from, clip for my book to read at night, this is lighting. It's just used for lighting at night. It's a circadian friendly alternative to standard light bulbs or that have like blue and green light. It's not like the near infrared of the Orion that's like penetrating deep inside your skin to reduce body pain and inflammation and support mitochondrial health and skin health, which was actually a big reason I got the Orion because I have a lot of scarring from all the years of cystic acne and this has helped immensely. Now, if you are a mama and you are stressing, stressing, listening to this because you're like, I want to sleep so badly. I want an uninterrupted sleep, but I have a baby or a toddler or your child has a cold and wakes up a lot throughout the night, then I suggest you look into practicing yoga nidra every day. And again, this will cost you zero dollars. You can do it on YouTube. And there is an app I love called Insight Timer and it's free. There's lots of yoga nidra recordings on there. I have all my mamas do this. Basically what Yoga Nidra is, is the instructor is going to guide you through a body scan in which you focus your attention on different parts of your body and you're consciously relaxing each area. And this helps to release tension in the muscles and promote relaxation throughout the body. It doesn't replace sleep, but it helps to give you some of the benefits of sleep and it can also be used to boost energy and reduce fatigue during the day. I always encourage my clients instead of taking a 20 to 30 minute nap if they feel like they need it to do a 20 to 30 minute yoga nidra instead. And finally, phone use 30 minutes when you're waking up. Stop that. It's impacting your hormonal health, your mental health, and your stress management. I know it's hard, but it's free. It costs you zero dollars and you got to do it. I I slip back into this habit every now and then. I'm a human. I'm not immune to this. I do not have my phone in my room. I haven't had my phone in my room since like 2015. Get an alarm clock. You do not need your phone to wake you up. I'm also really good at putting my phone away at 7 p.m. latest. It was really hard to break this habit, but you can break it. Maybe on the weekends I might have my phone on me a little bit longer, but even when Steve and I go out for a date night, I don't bring my phone with me. Or last weekend, we went to a party and I left around 11, which was very late for me. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, you're up so much later than your bedtime. (laughs) My friends just know that I go to bed. Obviously, for special occasions, I'll stay up, like a wedding or stuff like that. Um, But 
but usually I'm still leaving somewhat early and going to bed. Um, and anyway, I didn't bring my phone and the party was in our building. We live with a bunch of friends in the same building, which is super fun. Uh, so it's not like I was driving without my phone. I just had to walk down a few flights of stairs. So I use this app called Opal, O-P-A-L, to block Instagram from, right now it's blocked from 7 p.m. at night until 8 a.m. in the morning. Sometimes I change that to 7 a.m., just depending on kind of what my week is looking like and if I need that extra hour maybe to post on social media or something. But I got to get up at 5. So I still have two hours to myself in the morning where I'm not on my phone. I don't even have Facebook on my phone Um I have limited apps on my phone. I don't have my work email on my phone. Everyone who is close to me knows that if they text me after seven, they most likely won't get an answer because nothing is an emergency. And if it is a legit emergency, like someone's life is actually in danger or there is a life-threatening emergency going down, again, people who are close to me know that if they absolutely need me, they can call or text Steve. Steve always has his phone on him. And brings it into the bedroom, even though I tell him not to and he doesn't listen to me. But I suppose since we need something for emergencies, um, that I can't be too hard on him about that. Oh, wow. I've just been talking for like 35, 40 minutes on sleep. This is how important it is, okay? This might be like a four-part series, but that's great because hopefully you're getting a lot of tidbits and, and tips and really understanding, for example, how your hormones can become imbalanced and really understanding that you need to prioritize sleep. Let's move on to lifestyle choice number three. Are you breathing properly? Most people are chest breathers. I'm going to save the mindfulness practice and the meditation part for when I talk about stress. I'm just going to talk a little bit about breath work. Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, But Tay, I've heard you say on Instagram or somewhere that breathwork and meditation isn't enough. Um, Yes, you are correct. I have said that. It isn't enough on its own. Just trying to release your anxiety anxiety disorder with breathwork exercises isn't enough. But I never said it shouldn't be included as part of a larger, more comprehensive protocol. In fact, it's mandatory in my programs. Chest breathing is one of the root causes, remember, it falls under the lifestyle bucket. Most women with anxiety tend to breathe very shallow from their chests instead of taking really deep breaths from their diaphragm. So this is called chest breathing, and it is the improper way to breathe. So when I say breath work, I do not mean only when you feel anxious or like mid-panic attack. I mean you need to actively train yourself every single day to breathe properly. If you are constantly chest breathing, this can increase your heart rate, leading to those feelings of anxiety and panic. It can lead to hyperventilation, dizziness, lightheadedness, even fainting. You'll experience muscle tension in your chest, your shoulders, your neck. Um, Chest breathing, aka poor breathing habits, can cause tension headaches, which is less than ideal when you have work deadlines to meet, making it really hard to concentrate. And it's going to impact your sleep quality. It's going to cause fatigue, low energy. And all this makes it so hard to perform at work at the level like you need to be performing at. And all of this, yes, there's always going to be multiple root causes, but one of them is just because you're not breathing properly. And guess what? Shallow breathing, aka chest breathing, impacts your digestion. Yep, it's all connected, y'all. The way that some of the ways that it's impacting your digestion is it's reducing the amount of oxygen delivered to the digestive system. This is going to lead to poor digestive function and it's going to decrease your nutrient absorption, creating nutrient deficiencies that, oh, create the symptom of anxiety. If you listen to part one, which you should, it also alters the composition of our gut microbiome and can trigger inflammation. In addition to all of that, chest breathing activates the sympathetic nervous system. Deep breathing, deep abdominal breathing activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest and detox and heal, which is why everyone is saying breathe. When you feel anxious, breathe. It's like a muscle. You have to go to the gym to build the muscle and you have to practice deep abdominal breathing every single day if you ever want to get to a place where it actually works when you need it. Um, Oh, and the other thing, 
is chest breathing can reduce blood flow to the digestive system, which is going to, again, compromise digestive function, create nutrient deficiencies, and even digestive issues like heartburn and um, acid reflux. We humans are beautifully built machines. I know it might not feel like that sometimes, but we are. And just like any other machine, we need all of our parts to be functioning properly. And we can get by for a little bit if some of our parts and some of our body systems are in suboptimal condition, but eventually these parts need to be addressed. It's like you're driving around with a check engine light on in your car and you never take the car into the shop. So they can pop open the hood and look what's underneath. You got to pop open your damn hood, girl, and look what's underneath. Stop addressing anxiety as only this mental thing that you have no control over because you actually have a lot of control over it. What everyone is doing wrong here or what most people are doing wrong here is only trying to do breathwork exercises in those moments of heightened anxiety or mid-panic attack instead of actually creating the lifestyle habit of just actually learning how to breathe properly and practicing it every day, even when you don't feel anxious. So here's how I teach breathwork. I truly, fiercely believe with my entire being, because of everything I've mentioned above and more, that breathwork is a non-negotiable for literally everyone. I don't care who you are, whether you have anxiety or not, you you need to make sure you're breathing properly. And by that, I mean taking deep breaths from your diaphragm. If you don't do this intentionally, you're probably automatically chest breathing unless you've trained yourself not to chest breathe. And that takes a lot of time and practice. Again, just like going to the gym and training a muscle, even your posture influences how you breathe. Yes, we breathe automatically, but we don't breathe properly. Like we don't automatically breathe properly. And that is what we need to work on. Even Steve works on his breath work every single day. And he, he has never, he's since we've been together, which at this point has been five and a half years, he has only experienced the normal human emotion of anxiety one time. He experiences stress, obviously. Um, but never like depression. He's never had a panic attack, at least not that I know of. (laughs) And I think he would have told me. Um, But he practices his breath work every single day. He does it through um, a company called Move You. They have this really great online membership because he's all banged up from all the years of playing hockey and all the different sports he used to play. And so he has a bunch of like structural kind of body things. And so he, he bought this, um, membership called move you, which I love. I've done a few times because I also have a back injury that kind of acts up from time to time. If I'm not being mindful and doing my exercises, which I don't do as much as I should. Um, and it's by a Cairo and he talks about breath work endlessly and how important breath work is if you have any body injury. So it's literally everybody needs to do it. And most people are breathing wrong. And literally last night, Steve was, you know, lying on the ground, practicing the breath work that they teach and move you. Like even he understands the importance of doing breath work every single day and not even, he's not even thinking about it for his mental health. He's thinking about it for his body and his physical health. Also, depending on where you live, some cultures place a greater emphasis on chest and shallow breathing, and we don't even know this. It's subconscious. So a lot of Western cultures, like where I am, Canada, US, the UK, North America, etc., they tend to place more emphasis on chest breathing to project confidence and authority. Diaphragmatic breathing also means that your stomach is puffing out a little bit. I mean, not all the time, but to breathe through your diaphragm, your stomach has to expand. And in a society that prioritizes thinness as a beauty standard, which by the way, your body shape has nothing to do with how healthy you are, a lot of women are walking around sucking things in versus allowing themselves to breathe naturally, which will involve a little bit of pushing out, or not naturally, but properly, which will involve a little bit of pushing out, versus some Eastern cultures like India and China, where there is a long history of practicing yoga and meditation, which involves breathing techniques that emphasize diaphragmatic breathing. Breathe through your diaphragm for the love of whoever you believe in and make this a daily lifestyle practice. 
So Insight Timer, that app that I mentioned above when I was talking about Yoga Nidra, also has a lot of guided breath work. You, again, you can go on YouTube. This, can, this costs you zero dollars. Box breathing is a favorite of mine. I also love alternate nostril breathing. You can look those up on YouTube. Um, four, seven, eight breath. I have certain mantras and visualizations that I work with. There are a million and one ways that you can work with your breath. Just find something or a few different breath work patterns or just breathe deeply into your abdominal and start small. So if you are like, this literally makes me so anxious, I cannot do this, what can you do? Can you do 10 seconds? Can you do five seconds? What can you do and start there? I have had clients who've started with 10 seconds. I like to say, I like to, I recommend three five minute pockets throughout the day. And now what I do, it just, it becomes a habit. It just happens naturally over time. Now I'll do it in the morning because I always do some type of meditation or breath work or something in the morning in front of my Orion, which is 15 minutes per side. So it ends up being half an hour. And then throughout the day, because I have been practicing deep abdominal breathing since I was 21, 2011, because I started yoga pretty quickly after I was diagnosed. Um, But then I would say I really got serious about breath work in 2015, 2016. So now my body just does it naturally. I'm constantly just checking in with myself when I'm writing emails, when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm going for a walk, when I'm having a shower. I'm just constantly, when I'm waiting in line for something, when I'm driving my car, like don't overcomplicate this. Just find these little pockets in your day and you can stack them on top of other things you're doing. You don't have to just clear everything and sit in silence, cross leg to do breath work. No, 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 no. All breath work is, is breathing properly through your diaphragm. So get on YouTube, look at videos, look at how people are doing it. Start somewhere. If you have to start small, it's better than nothing. 1% better a day. If you can only do five seconds, do five seconds. Do five seconds every single day. And then that five seconds is going to turn into 10 to 20 to 30. And that's going to turn into five minutes and 10 minutes. And before you know it, you will have trained yourself how to breathe properly. And this is going to make a huge difference in your mental health, and your physical health, because your mental health is your physical health. They're the same. Wow. Okay. I really thought I was going to get through more, um, but I'm going to stop here because we're almost at the hour mark and cyclical living is next. That's lifestyle choice number four. And I have a lot to say about that. It actually might be its very own episode. So there's probably going to be many parts to this, but that's okay because obviously I have a lot to say about the real root causes of anxiety. You want to know something funny? Back in December when I had decided to do this podcast and I was talking to my podcast manager and I was telling her, you know, I think I'm going to do this rotation of, you know, I'm going to bring on a guest and then I'm going to do like an ask me anything. And then I'm going to do a solo episode. And that has since changed to guest, ask me anything, guest, like solo topic. Uh, And then I kind of rotate through those. And I was telling her, you know, I think the guest ones will obviously be an hour. And even though those are so hard to keep it an hour, because they just, my guests are amazing and I just want to talk to them forever and pick their brain forever. Um, my, I was like, you know, the AMAs are probably going to be maybe 40 minutes and the solo episodes will probably be like 20 minutes, 30 minutes max. Lol. We were literally laughing about this the other day because every single episode is an hour, if not more. Clearly I have so much to say, which honestly shouldn't surprise anyone because I have, um, always been a talker. I've always been chatty. I've always been an oversharer. I have this really vivid memory of grade seven or eight of um, outside at recess. And I like, kind of like went up to my my girlfriends and I was like, hey, like I have a story. I have to tell you something. And one of them was like, okay, everybody sit down, buckle up. Taylor is about to tell a story like this is going <laughs> to take forever. <laughs> Um, but if you got anything from this episode, it's the importance of sleep and breath work. And honestly, those two things are so important. They are the cornerstone of your health. And 
that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.